podcast ain't played nobody. First ever corrections uh, segment edition right off the bat. Well, we're going to start correcting ourselves now, man. I'm going to uh, do that every week. We're going to have to do that when we talk about religion. Um, <laughs> Bill, did you know who founded the, uh, the Texas Christian University? Uh, I heard you got corrected on that. So go yes. right ahead. So that's one where it was a Texas Christian University established uh, 1873. Uh, They were not and are not uh, Methodist associated. Um, I got a lot of fun, um, angry type. Well, not really angry, but kind of almost in jest messages from TCU people, SMU people. Of course, the M in SMU stands for Methodists. Um, Don't know why I thought about it. Maybe it's because I was raised Methodist. I don't know. TCU's religious affiliation is the Disciples of Christ. Um, in addition, also had a spirited slash borderline like hair splitting debate as to why when we reference uh, the Mormon church and BYU, we talk about what I, wh- what I commonly refer to as LDS. Mm-hmm. That is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And do you, do you think of LD when I say LDS, do you think of that apparently bill? Cause a lot of people didn't understand what I was saying. Yeah, no, I, I use them pretty much equally and, and in alternating fashion. Okay. So here's my backup on this one. Um, I went to the source. I asked a Mormon, um, one of our coworkers, Matt Brown, and he said I was good. Second, and Matt's been on the show before, um, specifically to talk about, just sort of the weird the weird world that is BYU athletics. And then second, listening to the, the little five-minute news loop on NPR as I was uh, driving the other day. Oh, look at you, Dad. It's – well, no, I, I have it – to be totally honest, this, is, this can be a PAPN recommends. Um, I absorb news from – try and absorb like, like news news, not sports news, from, from a variety of subjects and discern and disseminate. But when I'm just r- really busy – um, that little five minute news update thing, they have it as a podcast now. So you can get like roughly the headlines of the day, you know, filtered through NPR, obviously politically and, you know, whatever they consider to be most important. But long story short, there was a headline about the Mormon church pulling out of the Boy Scouts because the Boy Scouts were are kind of reframing their whole gender identity thing. And in the news update, which was AP style, they said the Church of Latter-day uh, LDS, Latter-day Saints. Church of Jesus okay. Christ, Latter-day Saints, LDS Church, which is the controlling arm, the Mormon group that controls BYU. So I'm good. All right. All right. That um, wasn't a correction. That was a, I, I'm right, suckers. That was a reaffirmation. Yes, I did totally botch the TCU thing, but of course, all the TCU fans that listen to us, and apparently we do have a sizable uh, yes. listening audience. Um, they they laugh. They didn't really care. So TCU, um, Wisconsin, we we get the schools that don't feel they're represented, that are good, but don't feel they're represented enough by everybody else. That's our sweet spot right there. Um, but I will say this: um, we're not trying to outwardly avoid politics. We're not trying to hit on politics. Uh, the, the guiding principle of this program is to um, – I, I personally think that if w- – regardless of where you want on any, any political spectrum, if you're listening to that Chapo Trap House podcast and you're like militantly socialist or you are – which is probably more the case since this is a college football podcast. You come from <laughs> a very red background in a red state and you have very red beliefs. I don't care. I kind of want all y'all to, to come to the forum, but um, we will call our shots as we need to, and we will try and discern things and 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 have our takes as best as we can fashion them because 
um, there's often an intersection of politics and religion and social issues in college football. Is that, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not setting out a lot of times. My problem a lot of times with uh, bringing up politics is just I, 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 I get I so carefully then try to measure my words that I can't really speak about it for less than like 15 minutes as I try <laughs> to get my thought out of my mouth. Um, and so that's a problem because I, I do want to, it's, it's a very hard thing to bring up in, um, in 30 seconds and then move on. And, and so it becomes a very tricky thing, but yeah, I'm not afraid, especially, I mean, last week with Liberty, I, 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 I don't think I offered a single <clears throat> opinion about, conservatism or the people behind liberty so much as i just offered a reminder that we should all try to live in reality um which can go for any group <laughs> any number of groups that are are trying not to but anyway well, speaking of religious agendas and, and a separatist type philosophy in college athletics at least um you did preview notre dame this week so we will talk <laughs> about that um as well Boom, as, segue. as well as uh one of the service academies at least and um Oh, got to do the show intro real fast. And by the way, we have. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say this: we've trained you guys with the SPAPN hashtag. I think this might be now we're at an operating level where I don't have to get out and yell at people to, like to to do the morning solicitation on the day that we. That just happens. Yeah, you guys are are organically providing topics. They're good. I appreciate it. Um, so good on you, listeners. Um, uh, this is podcasting. Play nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words um, as I struggle to produce words. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find me at 38 Godfrey. My co-host is Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He is the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He is, let's see, the author of two books. Are you still running Rock M Nation? Um, for, not for much longer, but technically, yes. Okay. Running a Missouri blog, writing two books, got his own stats, Doing diving into NFL stuff, doing some NFL stuff, writing for football study hall. Um, and then also you find him at the SMB nations.com. Usually his byline appears a hell of a lot more than mine and bill. Uh, I have an announcement to make. I was about to say your face is going to appear a lot more than mine. My face. Um, so PAPN exclusive. I'm gonna take a drink. This is for dramatic tension. Is this a Pensacola? Hell yeah, it is. I'm awake and wearing pants, bro. Uh, back in October, I yes. scared everyone on the program by saying that I was leaving the show, <laughs> comma, for a little while. Um, I, in November, went out to shoot for uh, the better part of five weeks. Um, I then returned back to the program, and we sort of went through the postseason, offseason, and coaching convention signing day pretty normal i ducked in here i think i missed a couple shows in the in the winter season um i was going back and forth from uh from nashville to new york city and back to uh where i was in november which i don't think is a grand secret but i was in mississippi um i have been working on a television show since october uh about the ncaa investigation of old miss about the controversy with uh one leo lewis of mississippi state about the back and forth between those two fan bases, about the bagman culture in the South. Um, if this is coming as a surprise to you, you're probably either a new or just generally unaffiliated consumer of SB <laughs> Nation products because um, it's about as shocking as Bill coming out with a book about stats. 
Um, this is my wheelhouse. This is where I operate. Obviously, I'm an alumnus of the University of Mississippi, although not a native Mississippian, as I was routinely reminded throughout the uh, course of this investigation. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, long story short, there is a show that will be out very soon. It will be out on a streaming platform. Um, the press release has not gone out yet. The trailer has not gone out yet. Um, I am doing this of my own volition right now because we, we always want to keep the PAPN hub the most informed and, and love on y'all the most because y'all love on us and you show up every week and you listen to our stupid audio show. Um, I'm going to ask a couple things of y'all in the, in the coming probably two weeks, three weeks. And it's pretty simple. None of which involves money. Okay. We're not asking, we don't have a Patreon. We don't have a GoFundMe. We don't have a, we should though. Um, Okay, well, you bring that up with our bosses. Um, <laughs> you know, we barely have ads on this show. Um, but I am going to ask you guys to do a couple things. One, always buy Bill's book. Two, um, even if you already have it, just buy it. I mean, look, Mother's Day is coming up. I think I, I personally think both of his books make great Mother's Day gifts. I mean, I'm just. I mean, Father's Day is very much coming up, too. So just saying. Yeah, um, a type um, my mom listened to the show like two weeks ago. She's like, I mean, I'm so proud of you, but Bill, I, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I was like, just the stats, buddy. Just the stats. She, she just meant the stats. I was going to say, I don't, I don't like quote stats that much on the show. It's okay, though. My wife, uh, basically, when I come upstairs after recording, she says, D- how, uh, how was it? Did you talk about stuff that isn't football? And if I say yes, then she'll listen to it. If I say no, if it was just, you know, we just mm-hmm. talked about football, she doesn't care. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Um, I, too, am married. Uh, Bill, I'm going to ask everyone in the PAPN audience to, in the coming weeks, uh, download an app. It's free. There's no sign up. There's no data mining. It's a reputable app on a large streaming service. It's not Netflix or Hulu. Um, it's probably something you haven't necessarily heard of before. You might have. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to watch it. Um, uh, so I was part of a television show. I'm sort of the prominent figure, at least in that I'm kind of the narrator of the show. I did not write the show. I did not direct the show. I did not have editorial control of the show. But what I did was sort of I'm kind of the central character. It's a nonfiction kind of news documentary program. I think most people would probably, if I said 30 for 30, kind of get the gist of what, what it is. But um, by and large, I think that um, you guys are familiar with the format. You'll probably enjoy it. If you listen to the show, I don't really care. I need you, consumer of PAPN, to just go download the app and like stream an episode for me. Uh, just because, you know, obviously analytics loves that stuff. Uh, I'll have more specific news uh, in the coming probably, I think, next week. If I'm not, I don't know. The PR department hasn't gotten in touch with me yet, but I'll be on a media tour too, so you'll probably see my stupid face. You're going to see a lot of my stupid face, and I apologize in advance. Um, the strangest part about making a television show, Bill, especially with the time and budget and stress that was involved on this one, was um, – not only do you watch yourself age and kind of kind of plump up and, and die a little bit as the show goes. <laughs> and by the way, like uh, I tell you what, we'll do a director's commentary on this show where I can tell you things are sort of edited out of order in terms of like what we shot when. You can clearly see a man that looks like he's got some sort of degener- degenerative disorder in the face and neck as the stress of um, fathering young children, making a television show, and trying to keep his sanity. It's, it's all up there on the screen. I, I tell you what, I did not get Hollywood sexy for this. 
But the other weird thing is that you meet people whose job it is all day long is to edit footage of you. So I've met like a handful of strangers, trained editors, people who work on like real TV shows, like real good TV shows, not just like crazy college football, nonfiction kind of deal, but like, you know, like dramatic television series that win Emmys. And they just had to stare at my face for like eight hours a day. Then my wife, that was, my that wife was the weirdest that. thing. Like I haven't done that. I did that little commission photo shoot thing uh, last year, and it was kind of the same deal. Where like you you walk in and there's a bunch of pictures of you on the screen. And you're like, oh my god, I I I have to leave. And that was like one tenth of what you did. So I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, so it's all up there. It definitely explains my absence. Um, there will be also the thing that we're really pushing is a written companion piece that sort of serves as uh, an authoritative kind of A to Z on everything that happened in Mississippi as it pertains to the NCAA scandal. And then obviously that weaves in people like Hugh Freeze and Leo Lewis and two fan bases that are both crazy and boosters and bagmen and all the, all that jazz. So when that comes out, we'll, we'll be pushing that pretty hard. Um, it's, it's a story that, and by the way, as soon as we get done recording this, I, I have 24 more hours on my, I think I'm on my draft 2.5 before it goes back to editors. So I will just consume myself with madness as I try and, and tell a book length story in not a book length. Um, it, it is a book, but we think it, this, the best way to present it is an authoritative kind of linear story about just the true thing, state of things with the NCAA. It's been hard not to talk about this bill because a couple of weeks ago we did a podcast and we picked apart uh, the Rice Commission. And God knows how many times we've talked about just compensation of athletes in general. Um, but, yeah, this is what I've been cooking on since since like Halloween, basically. Yeah. Are you excited? Are you excited to see me on television? I'm not. I'm, you know, I could make the passive aggressive spouse remark here and just say, like, I'm happier that I don't have to hear you complaining about this anymore. But <laughs> I won't because I'm happy for you. Um, I guess I really wasn't passive aggressive, was it? I, I think, yeah, kind of I, spouse, I missed the but, passive part of that, baby. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's I'm, I'm looking forward to it. When you hear so much about something over the course of six months, you kind of want to see it. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, too, because since I don't work in New York, I can't be like our Richard Johnson or whoever else, like randomly just walking by and seeing your face on the screen. I, I've been, you know, in my little Missouri That's island okay. over here. It's, uh, I've got no face for television. So, Bill, you know, speaking of my face, this is a segue. You ready? Watch the smoothness of this segue. Speaking of my face, I have... <laughs> The most god-awful meth beard going right now because the Nashville Predators are still in the playoffs. Um, as we record this, they are scheduled to play a deciding Game 7 in the second round against Winnipeg. Um, if you're listening and you're a college football fan, which I understand is 99.9% of the, the listening viewing audience plus like a couple of our relatives, please don't drive off the road in a panic. I'm not going to do a segment on hockey. This is a transition. Um Nashville and Winnipeg are the two best teams by points in the NHL. The weird I love that Nashville and Winnipeg are in are, are playing the same sport and are both good at it. That just makes me so happy. Okay. Well, and what's even weirder is that Winnipeg came from Atlanta. Um, yeah. they, have the, the, they have the two highest points totals. There's a really weird seating system. I'm not going to get into it. This is not an NHL podcast. The point is, it's been an incredibly good, stressful, insane, harrowing series by two teams that could probably win the Stanley Cup against any other series of teams. Only one shall survive. I have a beard on my face because that's hockey tradition. The only the only time that I have touched this beard, and I'm really hating it, 
was I I was forced to get the neck trimmed by the makeup and hair people for the TV show because I had to come back and do pickups for um I don't even know what the technical term is but basically like you'll if you watch the show you're going to see me in a series of interviews one of the interviews was shot pretty recently um like mid April and the predators were in the first round they trimmed up the neck a little bit I would not let them shave it and the predators lost that night at home so now I'm terrified I look like a hobo all right a hobo but I'm I'm mortified because when the Falcons were in the playoffs, I grew out my customary Falcons. It's like a handlebar mustache. If you remember Lemmy from Motorhead, that's what I had going. I even had it professionally touched up by my barber for extra, like when you pay the guy extra money. I then realized I had a meeting that I had to attend, and I was like, I really don't know if I should wear this to the meeting. I got rid of it, and then the, the Falcons lost to the Eagles in the playoffs. This is what I sort of lay at the feet of our listenership, Bill. What a stupid thing I do. This is so stupid. My facial hair does not dictate whether or not Pekka Rene is going to be a great goalie for the Nashville Predators tonight. It does not or dictate. does it? It does not dictate if Steve MFing Sarkeesian with fourth in the game on the line decides to sh- cut one half of the field off by lining up a fullback at the X position, a wide receiver, and then putting no other receiver on that side of the field, thus negating any action on that play side. I'm not bitter. Um, my facial hair did not affect Steve Sarkeesian's horrific play calling. It probably won't affect the predators tonight. And yet here I am. Now, when you say you've been growing this out a while, like what, when did the playoffs start? Like Jay, I know they last forever. Was it how, how long ago was it that you started? I mean, the NHL that? and the NBA playoffs are ridiculous. Are like nine months long. Yeah. And I say that one as a fan. Cause like, also when you have, when you have four seven game series and you also have like it's not your job, it's one thing because like if if college football is on, I just be like, hey, honey, it's work, you know. Pfft. Right. <laughs> I, don't care, I don't care if that kid's on the roof crying naked. What a that's your problem. But this is a this is a pastime. This is something that consider is considered to be not work. And so to, to try and schedule out your life over the course of four seven game series is really hard. Uh, I think it started three weeks four weeks ago now. Okay. Because that's been about as long since I've shaved, but it was just basically because I haven't had a reason to. Today is May the 10th. I I don't know. Let's say it was like April. I think it was like April the 12th. Okay. It's probably about the last time I shaved. Okay, good, good. Um, It's tough. The long segue, which is now not a smooth one. I know some of you out there do this because I pick it up on social media and I see it. I don't want to know what you do. And I don't even want to know why you do it. I know why you do it. You're doing the same same thing I'm doing right now. I guess what I'm saying is I think it's okay. It's okay. I know people out there who will only watch road games in college football, particular people's homes from particular people's seats in homes. Yep. I know people who have, oh man, I have an LSU friend who has the same it's, it's, I wouldn't even call it a polycotton mix. It was just it's more straight up polyester. The entire polo shirt is polyester, but it's, it's not LSU. It's all just um, like the tiger skin print that you would see on like a rug and like a cocaine dealer's house in the 70s that from the start of the season until the end, he will not wash, but will wear yeah. Fridays and Saturdays. And he's a, he's a, big, old, he's a big old boy. He's a husky boy um, like me. So – that's disgusting, but totally understandable. 
I mean, think about tailgating in Baton Rouge because, by the way, like it does not yeah. even get tolerably cool in Baton Rouge until like the next to last home game. <laughs> I mean, does he at least like just hang it out and let it air dry? Because I mean, yeah. over the I course mean, of a week or two, that'll take care of some of it at least. I'll have to ask him. Not the sweat stains, but at least the smell. Well, when your shirt's tiger tiger skin print, you can't really look, you can't really identify a sweat stain. That's the good part. Um, <laughs> you don't have anything like this, do you? No, I was thinking about that. I, mean, I used to. Like over time, you well usually grow out of them. I think the one thing that I probably still do, and I, I kind of just know, I don't even realize I'm doing it, is like, you know, I've got a lot of shoes, and um, I have noticed that when I like when I'll go to a Mizzou home game or whatever, um, as the dog barks to try to get, prevent me to, from telling the story, apparently. Um, I think like if I go to a game in whatever pair of shoes and they win, I, I, I'm pretty sure I instinctively grab the same pair for the next home game. That's really not much, though. That's that's pretty much that's the rest has been just kind of eased out of me over time. Will they uh, if they lose you, in the shoes, will you wear that pair of shoes again to the game? At least not the next game. It'll be a while until I forget. <laughs> and at, at which point, um, by the way, we were talking about um, this is interesting to like three people. But yesterday in our Slack room, we were talking about, you know, sports heartbreak and whatnot, as we do from time to time. Uh, and Spencer brought up the 2013 South Carolina, Missouri game uh, that, that you were at uh, and that he as a Sp- Steve Spurrier uh, lover certainly enjoyed a decent amount. That's um, where, hey, hey, baby. Not only was I there, that's the first time you and I met. Yeah, and and you were banned from ever coming to Columbia again after that. But um, which you haven't had a reason to since. But uh, but anyway, so I mean, obviously, the main memory from that is the the field goal hitting the goalpost and making the most amazing dong sound I've ever heard. To the point where when everybody else was in pain and rolling and falling on the ground, I was laughing because it was such a funny sound. Uh, but I also remember these shoes that I wore had a very narrow heel. And as I was going down the stairs to get like a drink or something midway through the game, I almost fell down the stairs mm-hmm. and I have not worn those shoes since, but not for, because Missouri lost to South Carolina. And, uh, just arch support. Just basically, I don't want to fall downstairs and therefore I shouldn't wear these. Uh, but, I mean, obviously I have to talk about the Super Bowl for a second. I, I did, I have returned to some articles of clothing that were involved in the Super Bowl because I thought the Super Bowl was so, it was so much more of a cosmic uh, event that it wasn't a, a single item of clothing or facial hair or anything like that. So um, I brought up something in Slack yesterday that I'm not proud of, um, but it is born specifically out of college sports. I apply it. Um, I apply it more to the, the NFL because we were talking about our favorite teams and priorities and stuff. And as you guys know, um, and you'll definitely know after this television show comes out, I'm not a fan of my alma mater. Um, so <laughs> You know, I've been a lifelong fan of Atlanta sports, and and obviously I talk about that a lot. But if you listening right now could swap out, well, let me say this: if you're listening right now and your school has a title, we'll go with conference titles. How's that, Bill? So if you're listening and you're like a Mountain West fan, we'll go with like a. Still doesn't apply to my school, but it's closer. I'm sorry. Um, if you could swap out a title to stop someone else's title, would you do it? 
Now, as a Missouri fan, there's not a lot you can do here. <laughs> right. There's nothing to swap. Uh, but I think if Missouri fans in general had something to swap, maybe more than one. If they only had one title, no, hell no, you keep you hold on to that. But if you, they had more than one, they would probably be willing to give it up for like that's that 2008 Kansas title uh, in basketball. I would say that's probably still on the table. But, yeah, when you have no collateral, it doesn't apply. So one example, um, and I'm just going to put him out on, on Front Street, was uh, our coworker, Ryan Nanny, Florida graduate. I asked uh, – we have a lot of Florida coworkers. And I asked the guys, I said uh, – and gals. Morgan is also a, a Florida grad. I asked them if they would trade both basketball titles that they won in the aughts against Ohio State and UCLA, the Billy Donovan, Joe Kim Noah, that era – I can't remember the other people on that basketball team, but if they would trade both titles out for one additional football title, and I didn't even, I really didn't even say win another in the urban era. Maybe Will Muschamp suddenly becomes a national title caliber coach, whatever. And then they initially said no. Everyone said no because they have fond memories of that basketball team, especially the first year. Apparently I get it. Totally get it. Makes sense. Um, then we got around to being hateful and the topic came up of, would you, would you sacrifice something of yours to prevent something of your rivals happening in a positive manner? And Ryan immediately said that he would give up both Florida national championships in basketball. If it meant that Georgia would never win a national title in football in his lifetime, a salty, but (laughs) I appreciate the hell out of that because on Twitter, I admitted that I have one world title as a fan, one title period as a fan, the 1995 Atlanta Braves, and that I would gladly give that up if the Saints did not win a Super Bowl. And by, and then, of course, I incurred the wrath of UGA fans on Twitter because UGA fans are always, for some reason, very bad at being NFL slash Falcons fans. Um, so I don't care, by the way. Um, my parents didn't go to UGA. I'm not a UGA fan. Uh I don't know if this applies to you. Missouri doesn't have anything to barter with per se. Kansas is terrible, so you don't have to worry about it, uh, at least in football. Right. Is there a situation where this applies to you that you would just, you would trade stock? You would, you would sacrifice something to prevent? Um, probably me personally. No. Uh-huh. Mizzou fans uh, in general, possibly. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, what's funny about being a Missouri fan because Kansas has mostly stunk in football, mm-hmm. uh, and because Nebraska has mostly stunk in basketball, basically as a Missouri fan, you have three baked in rivals, uh, Kansas basketball, Nebraska football, and then whichever city you're not from either, either the Cardinals or the Royals. So of course, <laughs> Cardinals fans wouldn't consider Dane to consider themselves, you know, Royals haters cause they're Cardinals fans. They don't need to hate anything. They're the greatest, but, um, but but with the the college side of things, it's always been pretty funny because they basically had two schools that were kind of mashed together, basically the same team, just one in basketball in Kansas and one in football in, in Nebraska. And I would say like the 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 kind of the hatred there for a while, obviously, you know, especially with Nebraska, that's gone away to a certain degree. Kansas, you know, people still live next to each other in Kansas City, so that's never really going away all that much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I would say there's still a decent amount of if we had something to barter, we would. I think that Michigan would give up their shared 98 title to prevent the seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. I always, I I did this on the tweet about the saints too. I'm always adding the January year in which something's won 
like the Super Bowl or the New Year's Day games or whatever. I'm always adding that year instead of speaking of the actual season in which it occurred. Um, I think they would give up that shared title with Nebraska immediately to nullify either the Trestle title or, or the Meyer title at Ohio State. I think Michigan fans would do that in a heartbeat. Um, I think Auburn fans would not go one for one on the Cam Newton year title because it's just you're you're outgunned with Alabama, right? There's right. just yeah, nothing I, like, I, like if I you like if you Alabama take response. away one if you take away one, what does that matter? Right. It, the Alabama response was great. Like, yeah, sure, give them nineteen forty one. Boom, now Cam didn't win. Yeah, Sold. exactly. Um if you're LSU, I'm trying to think evil thoughts here. Uh, if you're LSU, would you give up both titles, 03 and 07, Saban and Miles, to prevent Nick Saban from going to Alabama? Ah. I think the answer is yes. Well, there's something implicit in that, though, in that, you know, if he doesn't go to Alabama. So basically, are you saying he doesn't leave LSU or he doesn't leave the Dolphins? No, you don't get Nick Saban back. But he stays in the NFL, basically. Nick Saban leaves after the 2005? Four season? Four season. Four, four, yeah. And goes to Miami and maybe either turns them into like a decent occasional wild card team and or gets hired by like the Browns after that or something. Bottom line is he just doesn't bother you again. Or if he comes back and also also allowable in the scenarios, he does come back to college football and he gets hired by like USC or something. Not an SEC program, not Alabama, not in your division. Um, all of that. Okay. I think LSU would take it. Yeah, so that doesn't take away the 07 title. No, I'm saying you have to give both up. Oh, both. I, I thought you said just 03. 03, um, they would do it in a heartbeat. But I'm, I'm saying you have to give up both titles. Hmm. Yeah, you'd have to. I don't know where the LSU mindset is there. There's a lot of. Um, I don't know if there is. An LSU. I don't know if there is. There's a, a lot of inter, internal hatred, or uh, um, I don't want to say misery, but you know, there, there's there's a little bit of internal negativity with the LSU fan base. I'm kind of curious what they would say. So, yeah, that's the that's homework there. Anybody for, who's listening to this and is an LSU fan, if you are, here's where it doesn't apply. If you're Texas. Or Oklahoma. I don't think you give up your one title in the modern era to negate the no. other team. If, if anything, it's a weird moment, finally, that the Big 12 thinks about itself as a, as a complete unit and not individual properties. And I think that they understand that both of those schools having titles um, in the modern era is a good thing. So I don't think they would do that. I could be wrong. I don't think I am, though. I know. I think, you know, just the way things have played out, you know, number one, Oh five being just this holy accomplishment for Texas and the Vince young USC game and all that. Um, I think the memory of that very for Texas fans, very much trumps any sort of dislike of the 2000 Oklahoma team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, I would say that you're, you're more likely to get an OU fan saying, you know, we'll trade 2000 for 2005, just because it was such an amazing, you know, Vince Young became such a memorable player. Uh, but for the most part, they can still live with the fact that they've just been better 
over the last 15 years. They've come closer uh, on more occasions than Texas has. So that probably trumps that to a certain degree. Yeah, I'm not sure what the temperature is right now around Red River because it's had a lot of ups and downs. And there is something to a different level of angst if you're an OU fan and also a Texas fan making fun of them where like year in and year out pound for pound, you've had the better program, certainly the more consistent program, but, but also statistically the better program. And yet you have this just <laughs> awful, awful, awful propensity for falling apart in the postseason. I don't know which is worse. Oh, you'd rather be better. Now, granted, now, granted, there's a there is a legendary implosion in the Rose Bowl with Texas against Alabama. Well, eh, that wasn't really an implosion. Their quarterback got hurt on the like the third play of the game, so I don't really. Oh God, I know. I hear about it all the yeah, time. I don't. People think... are still litigating the shoulder, the shoulder uh, <laughs> ligaments of, no, just, of Colt McCoy. The implosion is like to me suggests like we fell apart, we blew it, etc. That was that, that was fate stepping in. So I don't really twenty to three. It wasn't a 28 to three. Is that what you're saying to me? Bill? I didn't say a word. You know, we've got through half an hour of this show without really actually talking about anything. Um, I disagree. We have a lot to talk about though. So <laughs> we will just do a hard transition out. Um, the other issue is um, we have a lot of questions. Uh, the preview is basically on hold right now. You're going to start with the power yeah. five in a week. Yeah. So it's um, a week announcement of my own. Uh, that is not nearly as significant, but yes, uh, Notre Dame Exclusive. went up on Tuesday. And so now basically we're hitting pause for a week. Um, the reason for that, uh, because I overthink these things, the reason for that is in a week and a half, I've got a date with a coach, got a piece, a feature piece sign, um, set up. And um, so going on a little visit, we're going to turn that into a family vacation. Uh, we're going to drive from this co- Here's your puzzle uh, for listeners. If you want to tweet me with what you with what your theories, I won't tell you if you're right or not, but you can certainly tweet me your theories. Um, we are going to a school visit and then we are going to drive the family, uh, wife and kid and I um, are going to drive four hours to a city uh, that my wife has always wanted to visit. Um, so there's your little clue, but, but anyway, so basically here in a week and a half, I'm going to be gone for a week and there will be no PAPN. Uh, but I didn't want to hit pause in the middle of the PAC 12 previews. So I'm pre-writing now. Um, so there will I'm be, con- wait, I, I'm hang on. I'm confused and I know where you're going. Yes. You'll have to tell me off air. Um, so we'll take, we're taking a little break. That's okay. So that's but, okay. Yeah, so next Wednesday is the Pac-12 is the beginning of Pac-12 previews, and then they'll run for through the week that I've that I'm gone because I'll pre-written them. So that way you don't have, we have to have a show pause. next week, right? We have, we a, have show a show next, next week. week. We will not have a show the week after that because I'm gone and and I haven't taught you how to edit these things. Um, so yes, okay. Uh, also, on the next episode, we will have a complete summer schedule for y'all. I um, again, the best thing we can do is keep you guys informed. I know that as a consumer of podcasts, that it's not so much about if we take a break. We are going to take a couple breaks um, as we get towards July. It's just a matter of keeping you guys informed. And also, we are going to do a fiscal year ending uh, PAPN uh, for our summer vacation. That'll be in a kind of oversized event. I'm toying with the idea of submitting myself to the box score bingo challenge, but it's just going to be a total embarrassment. Um, I know a lot of you have asked if I'm ever going to do the box score challenge and I've, I've been able to like duck away from that. Uh, it seems only fair though, that I would humiliate myself, uh, in front of the robot bill. Let's do questions. You ready? Yep. 
I got one. Uh, at Baby Statesman, first name Trey, asks, Joe Moorhead was known for having an explosive offense at Penn State and has talked about this early in Starkville. Mississippi State had a superlatively efficient offense under Mullen. Superlatively. Yeah, you can fact check that for me. Um, can a team be suited to efficiency, and can chasing explosiveness be a problem? Um, let's go backwards. Chasing explosiveness is often a problem. Um, it's not. It's something that every offense aspires towards. It's something that it's become a very, very popular term, uh, it, both like in conversations with media, but also at coaching clinics. Um, the the concept around shot plays, I think, has built and deepened, and people discuss that, and they discuss the philosophy of when to call a shot play, which used to be more about the time of the game and the deficit or the lead, and I think it's come much more down to uh, kind of that option style of like we've shown you three things that look like this, and now on the fourth time we're going to do something different and take a shot. That's what a shot play means. It's not shotgun. Um, and then some people like to do shot plays after turnovers um, because it's a momentum-based moment, and they feel like they can catch the secondary on their heels. Um, now, chasing it in, in without being able to do it is always bad. That's pretty much bad in, in any facet of football. If you want to do something you can and you pursue it aggressively, you will fail. Um, let's see, uh, superlatively efficient offense under Dan Mullen. All right, let's talk about that for a second. Bill, would you describe the Dan Mullen offense as superlatively efficient? Um, well, you know, it depends on your definition of superlative, but yeah, quite possibly. So here are the basics for Mississippi state's offense last year. They're 21st in success rate, um, 16th in rushing success rate and 48th in passing success rate. Uh, standard downs, they were 23rds in success rate. So that might qualify as superlatively, especially since that's not um, adjusted for opponent. That was within the SEC. So, yes, I, I will grant that part. Yes, it was a very – the problem last year was that they were 125th in isolated points per play. And that, that's my little – my measure for basically saying, okay, so for your successful plays, how how successful were they? Were they seven-yard gains on first down or were they 35-yard gains? Um and uh, so basically they were uh, more or less a bend, don't break offense uh, in that they were very, very good at staying on schedule and generating points that way. But they didn't create it. That's almost like an option offense profile right there in that, you know, Navy's yeah. always like top 10 in success rate and bottom 10 in isolated points per play. So well, uh, guess where Nick Fitzgerald came from. He came from a high school triple option. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's. He's really good at that. He's really good at that. This is one of those things. This is one of those things that makes the Dan Mullen offense work is taking a lot of old school, basic option concepts and modernizing them, incorporating the incorporating them into both the run and pass game um, and sort of grinding it consistency, if not always efficiency. Um, How does this compare to Joe Moorhead? So let's talk very broadly for a second. Um, Joe Moorhead does value the explosive play he values the downfield pass, true downfield passing. Um, I think that one of the things he's been very, very renowned for is um, one thing that we talk about a lot, which is suiting system to talent and not talent to system. Um, I think he inherits a lot, especially on defense, which is one of the things that no one's really talking about in terms of Mississippi State, which is fine because everyone likes Nick, Nick Fitzgerald's story and then Moorhead is an offensive guy, obviously, but – um, this is a deep, well-rounded team that I expect to challenge Alabama for the West. Um, 
I Trey, I wouldn't worry so much about all this because the one thing I can tell you about Joe Moorhead, I spent a lot of time talking to him when he was in the middle of going from Fordham head coach to first year OC at Penn State. He is not going to graft concepts or directives or um, quotas for shots downfield or whatever that don't work. It's if it's not organic, it's going to go is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Um, I, I did have a couple chances to talk to, I know you did too, but I talked to Moorhead a couple times when he was at Penn state. Um, he, like he, I talked to him mostly between 2016 and 2017. Cause I, I, among other things, I think he was interested in the, in the fact that, you know, with my numbers that Penn state was dreadfully inefficient in 2016, but was so good at creating big plays uh, that it didn't matter that they were only getting one yard when they ran on first down. Um, and, you know, in 2017, that flipped around a ton. They, I mean, they, they were quite efficient. They, they almost sacrificed a couple, a little bit of the explosiveness to become very efficient. And they, I realized they technically weren't as successful last year and that they didn't make the Rose Bowl. Uh, they didn't win the, the Big Ten, but they were two field goals away from the college football playoff, basically. Uh, they were very good and way more consistent uh, than they were the year before. And um, so I would consider them a better team last year. And, and the efficiency aspect was why. But basically, he told me at the time, he was like, you know, I, I, we get a lot of crap for basically, you know, throwing jump ball deep, you know, to, you know, bail ourselves out or whatever. But we're only throwing that pass if if if, if our guy's going to beat their guy. Like, the, it's, it's matchups based. It's what can we do to beat the other team. Um, and, and here's also your reminder. I mean, he's been at the forefront of um, the, the run pass option and all that. He's kind of the face of the RPO in some ways, at least. Uh, but he was also the offensive coordinator at Georgetown, at Akron and at UConn the year they made, I believe it was the year they made the Fiesta Bowl uh, back in what, like 09 or something close to that. Uh, so, and, and if you think back to those offenses, those were Jordan Todman offenses, I believe was his name. Uh, lots of more run. Um, and again, it was just based off what can we do to move the football? And, um, and, and so I would assume he's not going to, it's not going to be a square peg round hole. He's going to uh, walk in the door. He's going to have not only Nick Fitzgerald, but Keaton uh, Thompson as well. He's going to have Aris Williams. He's going to have Kylan Hill uh, at running back. He's going to have uh, two good running quarterbacks, uh, Nick Gibson, I believe is another uh, running back who could do great things. And he's going to have a bunch of guys who basically served as possession receivers last year. Maybe they can beat guys downfield in the right situations, but yeah, he's not going to, if you, if, if they can't make those, if those are, if those are not, if those are actual 50, 50 deep balls that they're throwing and not kind of like 65, 35 deep balls, they won't be throwing them. No, none of the stuff he did at Penn state. Well, I mean, the Penn state thing is so unique because Post probation, they were so bad on offense. They couldn't. They couldn't create any kind of explosive plays because they had no offensive line. They had no protection. Yeah. So when he comes in and does things after there was that weird, uh, not grace period. Grace is not the right word. Rebuilding phase where it was John uh, was uh, Donovan and Herb Hand and those guys. Uh, you know, Moorhead got to benefited from from a rebuild at the exact right time to where he could come out and show fireworks, but. Those are well-timed fireworks. I mean, Bill and I are both really bullish on what Moorhead does and, and the way he incorporates stuff and the fact that he's, again, he he hammers out and bends and folds that playbook to fit things and situations. Uh, I think he's a good – not a lot of OCs are diplomats at all. You want a good <laughs> example of that? You want a good example of that? Look what happened at LSU last year, okay? 
I think one of the things that impresses me about Morehead is he's going to look at the situation from a very selfless perspective, and that's just not common with OCs. Most most OCs, um, said the man who watched Kyle Shanahan ruin his life, um, are are you know little dictators. And so I think it's smart. I think it's, it's probably one of the best hires in college football this past season. I don't know about – I always scream about fit. I mean, I think putting poor Joe Moorhead a Yinzer in the middle of the madness that is the Egg Bowl rivalry <laughs> sucks for him. But um, all right, I've got, uh, I've got well, two. Here, Do you want to go? One last thing got? Uh, some reading, a, re- a reading recommendation regarding that, you know, there's also, you know, there's a focus on explosive plays or a quest for explosive plays. I, I am the most efficiency first person you'll ever talk to, uh, but some big plays are more high percentage than others. Um, and, and Chris Brown from smart football last year wrote a really neat, a cool piece about mills about what is a deep post routes um, where, you know, those are just, there are certain areas that depending on how you structure your offense, there are certain areas of the field that will open up. And if you can get the ball to those spots, those are higher efficiency chunk plays than other chunk plays. Anyway, um so many good questions so many good listeners um i like the uh, sometimes sometimes the shotgun effect works if you just ask three four different questions in a row on twitter uh let's <laughs> like, our, like our boy shikar gupta yes but um a lot of people are stealing shikar's vibe because uh eric which is eric multiple underscores it looks like three underscores 1995 eric you got to get a more pronounceable twitter handle i am going to pick um question two he asked three with scott frost heading to the big 10 west is northwestern's window closed at taking the next step to getting to a stanford like run as they did with the orange bowl and the couple of rose bowls that they went to um no is the short answer northwestern is a is a is a program that gets to operate a little bit apropos of nothing um and so that's cool yeah i mean Right. I mean, it's not going to prevent them from being really good. I mean, that's, that's step one to making a run like that is, is you know, or as, or, or, or as good as you can be at Northwestern slash Stanford. Well, no, I, mean, I wasn't even talking about that. Just like in terms of making title runs or Rose Bowl runs or whatever, like you probably have to play at a top 10 level. And so, yeah, Frost being at Nebraska, isn't going to have much of an impact. They're not going to be recruiting the same players necessarily. Um, so it's not going to have an impact packed on their ability to field a top 10 team. If they're able to do that, then yeah, it's one more, uh, level of interference towards them winning the West and all that. But I mean, they weren't winning the West already. They, you know, Wisconsin has still existed uh, in these recent years. So the, to the extent that there was a window open for such a thing, I don't think it ever really opened. Um, but no, it's, it, if you stay like you are in kind of that third number, whatever we would consider Northwestern, kind of the number 25 to 50 range, typically, um, it's one more potential loss. You know, you're more likely to lose to Nebraska now than you were before, but doesn't affect that much. I think you just, you get the luxury of doing your own thing at these programs. Yep. You know, I mean, look, you're always, if not Nebraska, then Wisconsin, if not Nebraska and Wisconsin, and maybe you still get to an easier path to the winning the division, still going to have to battle against what comes out of the East. Um, I think you just have to be Northwestern and yep. be the best Northwestern you can be. I think that's what Stanford has shown. And also everybody wants to use Stanford. I get it. But like Stanford's division is hell. <laughs> I know it wasn't hell when, when Andrew Luck was there per se, but I also did not think when Chris Peterson got to Washington, well, that's the end of Stanford. Right. 
By the way, this is kind of, I, I was really realizing a, a funny contradiction. So I did, uh, we hinted at an Ivy League piece a couple of weeks ago, I believe, that I was putting together. And uh, yeah, so I you were. To, yeah, I, I uh, talked to basically every Ivy League coach this spring for a piece that'll come out. I'm not sure when. Sometime in the next two months, we'll say. I'm not completely sure what the timeline is. But um, I, it basically, it was the most organic thing I ever did because it basically stemmed from us walking through the schedule last fall, the TV schedule last fall, and me every single week going, you know, Princeton's really fun to watch. You know, Dartmouth is is really fun to watch. Harvard's a pretty fun, t- you know, basically just slowly discovered like, wait, the Ivy League's really fun now. Um, and so combined with the fact that, you know, Princeton made headlines for beating out Alabama for a four-star quarterback and all this stuff, I got to write an Ivy League piece basically saying like, A, is the Ivy League improving or, or, or am I crazy? And then B, when the answer to one to A was yes, how are they improving? Why? And so there's a lot of stuff about like, improved financial aid. So they basically offer scholarships now, even though they don't and all these other things. But it was funny to me because one of the ways that the Ivy league has become more fun is just in that they like they're operating at tempo and they're basically taking advantage of the fact that, um, when I went to Boise last year and I was trying to, you know, pull from them information on like, what were you doing that was so unique tactically? And everybody at this, everybody inevitably said some variation of, I don't know, we had smart kids doing really like, so they could, we had smart kids uh, on our offense and defense so they could do a lot of stuff. You know, we could make big, complicated game plans uh, and we could execute them well because they could handle it. Um, well, if you can do that at Boise State, you can probably do that in the Ivy League. Uh, and that's what they've done. They, they, they can uh, throw a lot of stuff. They do tempo. They do they're a run heavy offense. They're pass heavy spread. There are just a lot of really fun things going on in the Ivy League. But it struck me as I was as I was writing on this piece this week. That is not at all what the smart kid stereotype, smart kid school stereotype is at the FBS level. Um, Stanford, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, they're not running spread them out fun. Our kids can handle a ton of information offenses. They are just trying to run conserved, powerful, uh, take advantage of everybody else being smaller and faster by being bigger and stronger kind of offenses to a degree. And it's just kind of interesting. I, I almost kind of want uh, some one of these schools to take an Ivy approach and spread things out and just be real complicated, but it's not happening just yet. Uh, I think that's, I but I think that's, be, I think that's because in the Ivies, you're not facing the top end of talent that Stanford and Northwestern have to. So the reason why you get a lot of smart people building a really heavy hammer, if you're like, you know, Stanford's offense is because I think the smart people have figured out when, when executed at its, at its best, that offense nullifies the top end speed and athleticism that the smart schools can't recruit. But, and I mean, it is true that like, even at the FCS level as a whole, and and obviously they're not playing a ton of other FCS teams. They got their three non-conference games that are usually like Patriot league teams or colonial teams. But, um, but they're also recruiting. They are like, to the extent that there are FCS recruiting rankings, like Princeton and Yale were one, two last year. Um, And so, uh, right. Stanford, even though Stanford recruits very well, they're not, they're not sign in Alabama classes. So there is a part of that, but I do think there might be a, a, something to be gained from just making things super complicated, identifying mm-hmm. your opponent's weaknesses, like, like Bill Walsh when he was at Stanford in the early nineties, like identifying the weaknesses and figuring out 38 different ways to target them because your players mm-hmm. can handle it. There is that route to take at least Joe Kupka at Kupka Joe. I like that handle. 
<laughs> uh, MN, he means Minnesota. Uh, so I'm just going to say Minnesota. Minnesota media is split three ways. One third, hugely supportive and knowledgeable. And then in parentheses, he writes blogs plus 98 year old who has seen it, seen all but one national title. Uh, one third anti gopher everything, parentheses, <laughs> paper and radio. And one third don't know or care. Are there markets with worse than 33% decent coverage? And oh, when God, will yeah. you? When will you be in Minnesota? Hey, so we just <laughs> talked about Stanford. Um, the three times I've been to Palo Alto, all two of which were for major games, you, the Bay Area had no effing idea that there was a major college football game going on that day or night. Um, that's one that just jumps out at me in terms of like a really damn good program that has absolute, like absolute ennui. In, in like the culture, hell, even around it, let alone in like the greater area, Stanford would lead the pack. It sucks for them. It really does. Um, because even Vanderbilt with a, with a much stranger sort of style SEC fan base is in a major city filled with SEC fans and garners more attention when they, when they win a conference game, even if right. it's just by fans of other schools who live down the street. And Vandy benefits from the fact that because they are not necessarily – headliners i guess you could say mm-hmm. they're not going to get they're not there's not a lot of anti-commodore everything from papers and radio quote unquote in that if they're not doing well they're just ignored joe i would keep a couple things in mind one you're in a major market minneapolis st paul so no matter how good the program is if it's not a pro team it's going to have a bias uh, of of transplants and people that are just passing through um i know that there's a huge support for wisconsin and michigan by people who are from those states who end up going to the university of minnesota for academic reasons but i've grown up to be fans of other more more successful big 10 programs that happens um the media uh i would say one third don't know don't care that's i I would almost say that about every market that isn't in about five different states so that's normal um the let's see the markets with uh uh, the anti the anti thing i don't know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say you're wrong joe i don't know anything about minnesota media but i am gonna say that often that's a perception um I think that they've uh, Minnesota has done a good job carrying on the PJ Fleck uh, kind of sales pitch that he pushed on everyone in college football media when he was at Western Michigan. Um, I think it's a little bit of just win, baby. You know, a nine win Minnesota team, everybody in the national media and everyone in the local media is going to kind of turn over and go, oh, okay, so he is going to do it at least to some degree here. Let's reinvest in the whole PJ Fleck row your boat nonsense, you know? Yeah, and I mean the the big market columnists as a as a whole are more often than not the guys who just kind of swoop in and beat a dead horse. Yes. So like, you know, when you lose, uh, well, and everything is present tense, there is no past tense. So when you when you look good, uh, the, everything has changed from this point forward. Minnesota is a dominant program, and then when you lose the next week, uh, it's same old Minnesota. Uh, you're never going to be Michigan. You're never going to do this. Da da da. And I, I'm assuming this. I don't spend a lot of time. Uh, focusing on the, the the columns that are written after go for it. But I know what the St. Louis Post-Dispatch is like in Missouri. Uh, and yeah. it's basically that. It, it's, you, you swoop in and you you hammer home the most obvious p- possible narrative after a big game. Uh, and for a Minnesota or Missouri, uh, you're not winning those big games very often or you're not winning them as much as you're losing them. And that's so it becomes negative just because they're going to really drive home the most obvious points after you lose a game. So. Sports are... 
sports are weird um, for for so <laughs> many reasons, Bill. But one of the reasons is that you have other passions and hobbies. I have other passions and hobbies. I never look for the amount of media coverage and the other passions and hobbies to dictate um, the validity of that hobby. You see what I'm saying? Sort of. In other words, if I'm if I'm really into I don't know cross stitching or lawn care or whatever, neither of which I'm I can't cross stitch. I'm not great at lawn care. Um, I don't worry about the amount of media coverage around those things. I just do them because I enjoy <laughs> them. That's my point. Um, again, I, I'm an Atlanta sports fan. If I looked around at the national and even the local media coverage, which has always sucked in Atlanta of my teams and, and worried about that, I would be an even more miserable Atlanta sports fan. I, I look, if anything, I think it made me defiant. And it's one of the reasons that <laughs> I love college sports is I carry that with me. I am a wear it on my sleeve, wear it over my heart fan of, of a team where most people just don't have the experience of meeting die hard fans of that team. Right. And, and that's exactly what I can say about Minnesota. That's exactly what I can say about Colorado state or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes college football so damn great. Um, so do not worry about the Minneapolis media. You have four major professional teams. Plus you have a, um, a soccer team, an MLS team. Uh, it, it, you're, you're going to be the hind dog sometimes. I mean, especially like, you know, the Vikings almost went to the Super Bowl. The mentality is just not there yet. And also it's all, it's, it's a lot about training too. Like I live in Nashville. We're doing the hockey thing right now. And the hockey coverage this year has been astronomical in a non-traditional Sunbelt, you know, redneck market. And it's because we finally got a base of people who are trained up as hockey fans who get excited. I think <laughs> Minneapolis, St. Paul has not been an area where college football has been that important for, for some decades. And like, it's hard to get, you know, what, what was their record this year, Bill? Well, his first season record of Minnesota was what? Like five and seven. Right. I that, so, yeah, it's going to take some time. In the meantime, dude, pull the hipster thing. That's what I do. I'd be like, man, I was here first. Like, I was here for the bad stuff. Do that, <laughs> man. Fly your flag. To hell with everybody else. Um, yeah, they started 3-0 and and then lost 7-9. of nine, uh, Well, that. kind that's of kind stuff. of another reason. Um that's kind of another problem. Flex, flex, uh, row the boat obviously doesn't work in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. that's what you're going to get. It just um, is. Here, here you, I got one. Um, okay, go. Oh, Ryan at weekday Ryan 1989. I bet I know when you were born, Ryan. Um, two questions, very, very diverse questions. That number one, odds that Georgia can overtake Bama as the preeminent college football program in the nation during Saban's tenure at Alabama. Two, who in the Big Ten West poses the biggest threat to Wisconsin over the course of the next five years, and why is it Purdue slash Minnesota and not Nebraska? Uh, to address number two first, uh, it, it's Nebraska. It, it's it's Nebraska. Uh, and and if it's not if it's not Nebraska, it still might be Iowa. Let's not let's not pretend hey, Iowa hey, doesn't exist. Hey, real quick, not to derail the question. You know, one thing we haven't talked about Iowa. No, what if Scott Frost? What if it doesn't work? Well, and obviously it might not. I bet if we're right now we're talking about potential, and I think the potential is very much there. So, but we yeah, the potential's there, and and that is the correct answer to that question, one hundred percent every time. But I just let's just sit and think about this for a second. Nebraska expects national championships, right? If he's nine and three, they're right. going to be. And if if they're nine and three in three years, they're still going to be pissed off. 
Because it's Nebraska. He's going to get a lot of leeway for being Scott Frost in Nebraska. I, so I'm curious. It'll take, I, I'm so curious it'll take longer than three. I'm curious how much. It'll take, yeah. It'll take longer than three years, I think. Eventually, I mean, Frank Solich was a favorite son, too, and, and he got run out of town. But um, he'll, get a, he'll get decent rope. That's what I'm saying. What, um, what if Wisconsin makes the playoff? I, I mean, that that won't prevent Nebraska from being really good if Nebraska is going to be really good. No, but, I mean, I meant the timeline on the patience. Oh, I see. Um, but it, but to, regardless, in terms of potential, uh, a Nebraska, a, a, a Scott Frost led Nebraska is still the biggest threat, I think, uh, until proven otherwise. Uh, to the first question, odds that Georgia can overtake Alabama while Saban's there. You know, it's not zero. That's for damn sure. I mean, we saw Nebraska, or excuse me, Alabama had to scramble to beat uh, Kirby Smart's second team at Georgia. And that was before Georgia went out and signed the number one recruiting class in the country. Like that, it was a shot across the bow um, that Kirby Smart really, 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 really might get Georgia's act together. Uh, we don't, we won't know for sure until it happens. Um, but, uh, but I mean, Saban has had to go- hire like approximately 39 coordinators in the last like four years. Uh, he's cycling through them. The, so, but kind of behind the scenes, the stability that has not been as high as it was before that. And it helps when you've got like an, an arsenal of analysts uh, that you can just move right up into those chairs, but it's still change. Like Mike Loxley wasn't an amazing offensive coordinator elsewhere. So it's not a guarantee he's going to be great, um, at Alabama either, um, but no, I mean, that's kind of where I, I, I'm, you know, I always ride like the, I, I, I'm still like assuming that Alabama wins a, a two or three more national titles under Saban until proven otherwise, but it's not, it's on the table that that smart overtakes them. It absolutely is on the table. I would agree that it's very much on the table. And I know when I, I know it's only been one year of that level of play, but I just, um, I'm not saying this cause I'm excited for it, but it's. It looks it looks like a sea change. Um, it does. Uh, Shakar, yep. always killing it, kicking all y'all's asses as usual. Man, he asked one, two, four in a three, row. Damn, four in a row. That's what he does. And he had finals last week, so he was out. Um, hope you did well, sir. Um, what? Okay, well, let me run through a couple because what is going to be the most PAPN game of 2018? I don't think it's fair to project it. I think you have to go back and Wyoming, look at New it. Mexico State. Well, that's not what I mean. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like it's almost what was the best, what, what, what was the most PAP game of the previous right. season. And and the answer is, I don't know. Cause we'd really have to, I mean, that might be a debate, something we could do brackets for in March or something. Um, uh, I got a more simple question to answer or a good question. Simple answer. How do you think San Diego state in, increases its popularity in the San Diego area, considering their success? The Padres are legitimately the only other team they have to compete with. And well, they're the Padres. Let me tell you what, this is San Diego state's fault entirely. I've never seen, I've bitched about this before. I'm going to keep bitching <laughs> about it. I've never seen a program with more upside in football and, and more dumb acidness in how to market themselves. I don't think they care. I don't really don't think they care. I don't know. I, I mean, I've pitched them before, and uh, only a handful of people have ever gone out there. And it's not because they're not good. It's because I just – I don't know. They clearly are overlooked. They are clearly not thought about when you're thinking about or when you're looking for interesting profiles or features or just kind of like temperature checks on the state of things. Like there's there's a lot to there's a lot to be written out there in my opinion. We talk about – 
freaking Houston all the time. Right. We talk about Central and South Florida all the time. There is very little difference in the advantage that those schools have because of where they are and the advantage that SDSU has because of where it is. Southern California has a ton of football talent. All right? That's why, look, everything those Arizona schools do is with L.A. in mind. Right. As well as Colorado and pretty much everybody else in the Pac-12. I also think, like, I mean, yeah, press friendliness and all that aside, you know, they had a breakthrough. The last three years have obviously been a massive breakthrough for them. Two Mountain West titles, three 10-win seasons, about 32 total wins in the last three years. But Houston had the the Peach Bowl, and UCF won, beat Auburn and quote-unquote won the national title. Uh, and that is still quote unquote, quote unquote, <laughs> that is still why don't you bring that trash on this show? That is still a big reason for why they did like, they got the level of coverage they did. The other thing was they had Tom Herman and Scott Frost and San Diego state has cranky old Rocky long. Who's amazing, but isn't a candidate to go to a <sighs> massive job, uh, and is cranky and old. So, um, it, it is the optics are different there. If they were to go fourteen and zero this year, you know, just plow through. Uh, I've already forgotten which um, Pac twelve teams they have on the schedule, but if they go through the uh, beat a let's see here, uh, I'm going to take the time to actually do some homework. Uh, they play. Oh right, they play at Stanford and they play Arizona State at home. They beat Stanford. They pummel Arizona State. They go thirteen and zero. They go to the Fiesta Bowl or whichever. Uh, uh, New Year's Six Bowl they get, and then they win that, and they and they get to do their whole claiming a national title thing as well if they want to. Like you do that, and and the coverage will grow even uh, no matter what the ambition of the local infra sports information department is. But that's that's part of it. Like yes, I mean yeah. press friendly or not press friendly, they've also a they're also way the hell out west. They're not as easy to get to for most sports writers. Um, although I guess there are quite a few sports writers, uh, college football writers in California. But they also just haven't had they, – they've broken through to one level, but they still have one more level to break through to uh, before they mm-hmm. get that much hype and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, another question. While we're, we're, while we're out west, uh, Scott Young at Scott Young LV. Uh, I bet I know what that, the LV stands for. With UNLV slowly rebuilding and then moving into the new Raiders stadium, are they the sleeper team to be picked by, by a Pac-12 or Big 12 market for the market and recruiting reasons? Um, uh, to the extent that um, any Mountain West program is a sleeper to join the Pac-12, I'd say they would not mind having a really good Pac, uh, really good UNLV to consider. But hmm, maybe here's so here's the situation with Las Vegas and the Pac-12. They already own it. Yeah. They're not worried about UNLV. They okay. already have their basketball tournaments there sometimes. They do, and uh, they are moving football there. They, I, I mean, I'm. I, oh, that's right. I'm going to say that. No, I'm going to say that, and it's going to get aggregated. Um, they're not. They've not officially announced that they're moving the championship there. But let me just like, and I'm not saying this. This is not me saying it was as source reporting. Let's just look at the inevitability. There, you know that the tepidness of the crappy Santa Clara stadium. Like they're going to end up in that new Raiders stadium. It makes all the damn sense in the world. We wrote about this last year. We wrote about how it affects BYU. We wrote about how it affects the UNLV, but the PAC 12 is going to move that net championship game to Vegas. And guess what? They totally should. If you, here's the deal. If you have a week's notice that your team in December is playing an additional game and, and, and you know, the league wants you to be there. And it doesn't matter if you're a fan of Cal 
say the you know Oakland and San Francisco airports or Arizona, Tucson, Phoenix, or you know obviously the bigger markets LA, Seattle. Everybody can get a flight to Vegas. Yeah, they're cheap. There's a ton of hotels already, and you have the added incentive of being in Vegas. That's why it works. <laughs> so to that end, UNLV's future is very bright. I think they're getting a shiny new stadium. Las Vegas is a growth area um, in terms of the United States economics. Like the the larger picture, it makes it, it's all good. I don't necessarily think you're that appealing to the Pac-12 because one of the things that the Pac-12 is looking at, and I'm going to bridge into a question again that Shakar asked. Um, the Pac-12 is looking for different and new. They're not looking to expand the way conferences have traditionally expanded. And so something different and new would be like planting a flag and getting Texas if the, if the Big 12 really did fall apart. Um, Shakar asks, considering the Pac-12 is foraying into Chinese TV markets, is the goal to expand the NCAA into the Pacific Rim and have member schools say in say – in, or I'm sorry, in say – Japan, China, or Australia for greater access to those markets, or to just hope the content from the Pac-12 performs there, uh, performs well there. The answer to all of that is basically a soft yes. I don't think that you're necessarily going to see the University of Shanghai playing, a, you know, a, a full Pac-12 <laughs> schedule. I don't even know. If I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there is a University of Shanghai. I just made that up. I know there's a, a large American population in Shanghai. Japan. Uh, college football is very is is popular in Japan. So you know, University of whatever Tokyo. Hey man. Look, I think Sonny Dykes would probably be a hell of a lot easier to quote on this now, but not Cal was not really shot in the ass about having to go to Australia. Um, there's there was pressure there. They want to look at Sydney. They want to look at Melbourne. They want to look at the entire Pacific Rim. So Shikar's point stands. Basketball is massive for them in China. Massive. They want to carve out a spot underneath the NBA in places like Japan and China. They're the best suited to do that. It doesn't really affect you, me, and you, and our listeners sitting around, you know, talking about a traditional 12, 13 game college football schedule and the culture of college football in America. That doesn't necessarily affect the Pac 12 in quite the same way. However, I will say this Pac 12 revenue was down slightly again this year. A lot of people, of course, talking about the bad year that the Pac 12 had in terms of on field and on court. You start making a butt ton of money. That's a that's an uh, official measurement, by the way, mm-hmm, Mr. Sure. Mr. Stats Guy, butt ton. You start making an extra little butt ton of money licensing your, your basketball product alone in a market like China. That's only going to help your member institutions, at least by design. Um, right. Or it's going to pay rent for the corporate offices in San Francisco. I don't know. Um, that's going to help your programs. The, the, the Ideally, trickle-down economics is supposed to work in the conference model <laughs> in college sports. So um, it's not a bad thing. I just don't – everyone wants to talk about Pac-12 expansion or they do something weird. Like, And a, a lot of people have asked about Hawaii. Hawaii to me makes a hell of a lot more sense than San Diego State, UNLV, or Houston. Right. Houston, Houston still makes sense to me personally because I don't think Texas would go to the Pac-12. I think Pac- Texas's next move is autonomy, independence. Right. Um, Houston yeah, – I would put I would put Houston's chances greater than UNLV's, and I would put Hawaii's chances greater than UNLV's. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, UNLV and San Diego State are both in that same boat in that they if they if they have a really good program going, great. But it doesn't. It's not new. Um, 
And I mean, at some point, maybe the Pac-12 realizes we're extending ourselves too far. It's not paying off like we hoped it would. So maybe this isn't, you know, especially if we're if we're aiming to the West, um, maybe that's not the way this should be going. Maybe that means they circle around and try to do Texas again, um, you know, as the Big 12 waits out the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is waiting out the Big 12, but then also Houston. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe that they, they, their priorities shifts, but as it, uh, you know, with what we've seen so far, uh, yeah, they're, it's, they're not going to just simply, uh, add a, a pretty good local college football team to the mix. By the way, Hiroshima raccoons, very good at college football. Um, oh, okay. Great. He made bombers. Sounds like, sounds like a one in one. Um, I, I stick by the, the, the Houston Hawaii theory in that I know for a fact that both of those schools would gladly say yes. Um, yeah, Hawaii, yeah. obviously. Hawaii makes a ton of sense in terms of like they can they won't worry about like the travel because you're on a freaking island in the ocean. Um, and then if anyone says that, oh, Houston would want to play a Pac-12 schedule. Yeah, they would totally do what West Virginia did in the Big 12 in a freaking heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and also a Pac-12 coaches would not complain near as much as you think because Pac-12 coaches would I tell you what Pac-12 coaches are going to do. They're going to lobby to have Houston and then they're going to lobby to have their bye week right after. So right. they can keep three assistants in the market or by week before whatever <laughs> and they literally leave three assistants behind at TDECU Stadium in Houston and have them go recruit their asses off from, you know, Katy to the Woodlands, you name it, and then drive up to Dallas. I guarantee you that they would do it in a heartbeat. Um, it makes total sense. So, yeah. yeah, it would suck for Houston the same way it sucks for West Virginia, but they can also temper that because what it's a nine-game schedule in the Pac-12, right, Bill? Yes. Okay. So right away, schedule. So you have a standing series with Rice, and then just get a standing series with one of the other in-state schools. Just, just I get that. And then you have a homecoming game every year against someone like, um, oh my gosh, what's the SWAC school in Houston? Why am I blanking? It was Prairie View and Texas Southern. Texas Southern is who I was thinking of. Um, you know, or, or do Stephen F. Austin or, or whatever. Have one of those home games a year, so you get you know you can have a schedule that's amenable for a Texas based fan base and still have the, you know, however many road games a year where you're out on the West coast, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. You can almost have a PAC 12 West and East or like Pacific and everything else where like Washington to, to USC is the West and then everything that isn't Washington, Oregon, California is the East. This is noted, by the way, this is also, I'm really selling Houston to the PAC 12 right now. I expect some, uh, if, I know people at the University of Houston. If they're listening, I want money. I don't have morals or ethics. I want money if this happens. I want to check. You hear me? Uh, this is absolutely no different than having to go and play far-flung games in the American Athletic Conference, right? Yeah. What, like, what sucks worse, having to fly into the Denver airport and take a bus over to Boulder to play Colorado or having to fly to BWI, take a bus over to Annapolis and play Navy? I mean, the AAC is pretty far-flung as well. Um, oh, got on sure. a rant there. All right. Um, yeah. Um, last question. Last question. Because I think question. We, okay. Um, he's asked this a couple times, and I like it. And I, it's it's a hard question to succinctly address. It's, it's a, succinctly address. Yeah. And by the way, I see y'all who keep asking the same questions. We're sorry. We're trying. Um, what I might do is start like we can start addressing some of these that we just haven't been able to get to on Twitter. Like we could kind of do a like a the, you know to, to, to try to lop lop some of them off. Um, I might try to start responding to some of these on Twitter and you can do the same. But anyway, um, Joey Weaver at FTRS Joey asks, 
Uh, when it comes to program success, is the best AD in the country a net positive as much as the worst AD is a net negative? Put differently, can a good slash supportive AD help as much as a bad slash unsupportive AD hurts program? I say the bad one hurts more. Uh, cause it, you know, cause even with like mm. the good, the examples of really good eighties that we've talked about a million times, Greg Byrne, when he was at Arizona, Chris Del Conte, when he was at TCU, um, Del Conte, especially he had Gary Patterson. So he, he didn't like, he supported Gary Patterson. Um, but, but like just seeing what bad eighties can do for a program. Um, I would say that the damage there is, is there is more potential for that than there is. There's more downside than upside. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it comes down to where the, the problem is success has many fathers, right? That old saying. And oftentimes Greg Burns, a good example. He's at Alabama. Now Alabama is, is positioned to be as successful as anything in college sports can be for the next, what, 10 more years without a doubt. Is oh, that yeah. Greg Burns doing? No. Will he be the steward of that success? Yes. I mean, he's overseeing a, he's overseeing a, I think a, a steady overhaul and kind of rebuild and refocusing of what Alabama considers to be good and, and successful in college basketball. Um, but obviously football is King. No, everyone's going to say it's Nick Saban's kingdom. So, um, I think it's tricky. It's easier just to look at like when Byrne was at Arizona, Crystal Conte at TCU, um, a variety of different ADs at, at various G5s and say, man, that guy's really successful. He really brought them up. When you look at the premier programs right now, I'll give you a great example. And this is one of the subjects I wanted to get into, but we're running out of time. Dan Radakovich at Clemson is trying like hell to appease a fan sentiment that I don't understand, which is that they want to keep a, a keep a permanent series going in Clemson with Georgia. That's a big ask for a lot of different reasons because I think it directly impacts the 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 playoff resume and and really creates a hell of a schedule if Muschamp gets South Carolina to where yeah. to where they're just sort of nasty again. I don't know like if they're ever top tier good, but hell of a way to book in your year. The ACC is only getting better. I obviously they're still not in a position where you know, and Clemson knows that no one's ever going to look at NC State and Wake in Virginia the same way people look at you know, Mississippi state, you know, Tennessee and South Carolina, you know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And M so th- they know that, but at the same time, numerically we're seeing an increase in quality in the ACC. So if that continues and you book in your schedule with really brutal, emotional rivalries, um, I, I hail from a part of the country that understands the Clemson Georgia rivalry, even though no one in my family went to either school, I have a lot of bandwagon Georgia fans or sidewalk Georgia fans of my family and Clemson and the way the geography sits, if you don't know, um, it, it was a serious hardcore rivalry in my parents' generation in the state of Georgia yeah. and that part of South Carolina. So I get it. But to go back to the question, Dan Radakovich has done so many things right at Clemson. And I know we just talk about Dabo and I know we just talk about the football part of it, but I can damn sure tell you that they don't win a national title without giving Dabo an excess of the things you didn't previously associate with Clemson budget um, facilities um, aggressive ticket sales. They were having a problem for years with just bad schedules. That's one of the things that really vexed them is that Clemson was a little quirky in terms of like people getting there on a Saturday and the home schedule sucked because this was, this was the Valley of the ACC, the one, the ACC that we made fun of, like, 
you would get a, a big turnout for South Carolina at the end of the year. You might have one premier home game, like when Florida state comes to town. And then the rest of it was like, I live in Atlanta and I don't want to drive up for an 11 a.m. kickoff against one of the lacrosse schools. And that's a real thing. And so Radakovich was aggressive in scheduling. He's been aggressive in fundraising. Um, he doesn't get any kind of the credit that Dabo does because one's, one's on the field coaching. And I get that. So to answer the question, I think it's about even. It just you know, I think we need to be smarter about how we credit and also how we critique athletic directors. And it's because what they do and the specifics of what they do is sort of shrouded in mystery. Whereas like a football coach wins and loses games. And we can we understand that metric. And there are two different kinds. I've, I've referenced this at Rock M a few times through the years. There are two different kinds of athletic directors. There's the the peacetime conciliary and the wartime conciliary. Um, and when things are going well, or when you've when you've got when you've got a great co- a clearly great coach to support, or a coach who could be great with a lot more support, that's one per thing. And then if you've got some you know investigations here, or you're trying to recover from a bad hire, or you've got you know, there were some bridges burned that you have to mend. Like that's a completely different set of skills that you need. Mm-hmm. So part of it really does depend on what the situation that you inherit is. Um, and I've talked about that. Like that's sometimes where like the war, the, the wartime consigliere can be the guy like Tom Osborne um, or the, the guys who, um, who is the, who is the interim at Michigan who took over from Mr. Domino's a couple of years ago and, and actually kind of the people that like the community knows a little more, he doesn't quite have the business experience, doesn't have the 30 year plan, but can get you through the next two. Dave Brandon um, was the Domino's guy, right? Right. And then he was succeeded by an interim, um, damn, let's see, Michigan interim athletic director. We just always talk about Dave Brandon what? so much. Uh, Hackett. Yes. Was that, that sounds familiar. Okay. Let's see. Jim Hackett. That's it. Um, yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, like basically uh, his, his, he didn't have the, here's the next 50 years of Michigan, um, kind of the big vision of what we're going to fundraise. We're going to do these things and all this, it's going to be great. He basically had to put out fires for a couple of years. Uh, and he did. And so it really, it, it does depend on the role you're asked to play too. But anyway, right. are we going to answer this Jim Knowles question? <laughs> I feel bad. Right, right, right. Dalton, um, uh, Dalton Hebner just, at Dalton Hebner. Um, I don't know how many times Dalton's had to ask this question or I'm really sorry. Uh, at least a couple. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys see the Knowles hired? Okay. At okay. State at DC working out. Jim Knowles was hired as the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma state. Uh, I like it. Uh, you like it. I'm fine with it. Sell me on it. Right. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say now they're going to, now they can finally go win national titles, but um, he discovered these last couple of years at Duke. He, he came from Duke. Uh, he discovered over these last couple of years that the, the, the ways that being aggressive can help you out quite a bit. Um, Duke was a very, very, they were willing, they were one of those defenses that was very, very willing to give up big plays in the name of forcing turnovers and three and out, uh, from, you know, again, I am the efficiency guy, the, you know, it's worth that risk because, uh, for every, you know, a three and out is great field position. A three and out is a tire. Your, your, your opponent's defense is going to be more tired. Turnovers are easy points and all that. I think the risk outweighs the reward these last couple of years, especially Duke has been crazy all or nothing. And then there have been a couple of Duke fans who I've been 
interacted with that got kind of tired of the nothings. Um, sure. They were to like we were talking about success rate and isolated points per play last year. There was 17th in success rate and 95th in isolated points per play. Uh, the year before, they were 54th in success rate. They were getting there, and they were 120th in isolated points per play. So basically, like there are explosions one way or the other. I've always thought that that's kind of when you've got an Oklahoma State offense that is so explosive. And and you know this year, new quarterback, new go-to couple of receivers. We'll see how explosive they're going to be. I'm pretty sure they're still going to be pretty damn explosive. Um, when you've got that kind of offense that you know can keep up in a track meet, like that, this was what's his name, Bennett at Baylor, um, from when they made the Fiesta Bowl, like getting super aggressive, playing sticky coverage, taking risks, and forcing a couple turnovers and and three or four three and outs in a game, it's a service break, um, and you're gonna you're gonna win every damn set, like if you can break serve once or twice. So I, I really think that's the style that a, like a team like Oklahoma State should be playing. Glenn Spencer had his moments, but after that first year, he didn't have the personnel to really do what he wanted to do, and it became more of a conservative unit. I think Knowles will take a few more risks, and I think it'll look good on him. Just win the turnovers, man. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be reductive, but that just create create as many turnovers as humanly possible. Hold serve in the red zone. That's all you got to do. <laughs> That's all you can do. I'm convinced. Um, I, I'm then no one's ever going to figure out the Big Twelve defensive coordinator riddle. Like everyone's just going to have to hang on for dear for dear life in in some capacity. I think that's it. And and recruit a lot of good players. That's probably a good idea. Too. I would say that maybe it's time to not every long armed, um, rangy athlete that you see at a seven on seven camp needs to play wide receiver. If you're five deep, maybe that's uh, good yeah. enough. Maybe why don't you create a corner or a safety? It's a magical idea instead of always putting the five <laughs> nine kid there. Like just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, great defensive lineman. That's another good idea. But what your your point to tie this all in a bow, the Ivy League piece, part of the Ivy League, one of the quotes I got that I really enjoyed uh, in terms of simpler is better. I was talking to Brown's coach. They were he was one of the more innovative offensive guys 15 years ago. He's been around a long time. Their offense kind of stunk these last few years or regressed. I said, you know, what was the main cause of that? He's like, Well, we started putting our good players on defense. Like, oh, I mean, okay. So they got better at defense and worse on offense. And, and that was, I mean, just, why, not, was why not some balance? Just balance, y'all. Just yeah. Well, right. I mean, you, you recruit enough good players, but no, I mean, Texas had the best probably defense, either Texas or Iowa State last year in the, in the Big 12, and Texas had the best, probably the best defensive line with Puna Ford and those guys. So it's not, it's not necessarily a magic equation here, but yeah, have good players and um, put some of them on defense and, and, win games all right that's the robot bill Connolly at sbn underscore bill c my name is stephen godfrey at 38 godfrey obviously there's a score of things we didn't get to time is preventing that that's okay we'll be back next week um and again uh we're gonna keep this format through the summer season um we will do a mega show around our summer break which usually falls before the fourth of july um start cooking on those box score bingos those of you who have been with us long enough to know what that means um and that's it we'll be back next week do you want to tease the conference coming up did you say officially i don't remember i think i said it was pac 12 yeah. uh, you know, we started the with the worst conference from last year and clearly that was pac 12 i'll see you soon oregon state oh yeah <laughs>